This podcast was recorded at the fourth Chimag Live event, PR Unspun, on April 24th, 2007, in London. Featuring on the panel, Jackie White, Online Communications Director at Edelman, Neville Hobson, VP of New Marketing at Crayon, Stephanie Bonnet, Director and Digital Media Evangelist at Burson Marstella, London, and Mark Rogers, CEO of Market Sentinel. The event was produced and chaired by Mike Butcher of tbytes.com, with podcast services provided by Perfect Path Consulting. The event was sponsored by Microsoft Windows Live. Keep in touch with Windows Live Messenger, Mail and Spaces at www.get.live.com. Thank you, Deirdre. Uh, my name is Mike Butcher. I'm a journalist uh, and blogger. I'm uh, the other Mike Butcher. The other Mike, the other Mike Butcher, apart from me, is a baseball uh, star in Southern California. If you Google me, that's who I'm not. Um, um, this week, I am mostly blogging on tbytes.com, a blog about social media and Web2. Uh, that's rather a hackneyed phrase now, isn't it? Web2. Perhaps we should be calling it Web 14.7. Um, thank you very much for coming to th- this event this evening. Uh, this is a, really a great turnout and quite indicates just what a hot topic uh, this is, PR run, spun. What on earth are we going to do? The lunatics are in control of the asylum now. And um, there's something, you know, all of these people here uh, on our panel are attempting to deal with this as well as, well as uh, many of you out there. And you're uh, in, the, in the front line, I'm sure, many of you, uh, on this uh, battle of trying to handle the change, the seismic uh, change going on in media business at the moment. Um, uh, i just introduce our panel so they don't have to kind of uh, go into the, all that kind of uh, PR pitch kind of mode. Uh, on my left, we have Mark Rogers, who is CEO of Market Sentinel. Uh, Mark co-founded uh, Market Sentinel in 2004, and it monitors consumer-generated content in blogs, message boards, you name it. Uh, next to him is Neville Hobson, uh, a VP of uh, New Marketing uh, of Crayon. Um, he's a communicator, a blogger, a podcaster, a second life explorer, uh, somewhat like uh, Captain Scott, I dare say, and um, one of the leading early adopters and influencers in social media at the moment. Next to him is Jackie White, who is the online communications director with Edelman. Jack- Jackie's been leading Edelman's uh, interactive solutions for five years, and she's overseen tons of stuff, including uh, uh, working with Diego, Unilever, the National AIDS Trust, you name it. Ask her later. And uh, Jackie, actually, I would consider one of the veterans in this space. And, and last but not least, uh, Stephanie Bonnet, who is the director of Burston Mastella uh, London. Uh, she is uh, Burston Mastella's a digital media champion for Europe. So just think of Rocky climbing the steps and that's, that's your image of Stephanie, uh, the PR champion. Um, so I'm going to throw to you, Mark, first of all. We're going to um, ask some que- go, go into the, a little bit of a discussion on the panel here and try and tease out some of these issues. And then we're going to bring you guys in, crowdstorm-like, uh, to look around this issue. Um, Mark, let me ask you, what on earth are we doing here and why are we talking about this subject? Is it really mainstream now, social media? 
Yeah, I think you've, you've answered the question in just saying um, how full the room is, really. Um, I think it is mature now. Um, social media, I mean, it changes name from year to year. A, a year ago, everybody was talking about blogging, and now that subtly becomes something slightly different, social media. But whatever it is, it's here. And the fact that this event sold out, I think the day the early bird booking closed was the day it sold out uh, already, and they were turning people away, it really tells its own story. Um, it's been a long time coming, but I think now the decision last week by Unilever to switch its entire market research budget, I'm talking now as an online market researcher, the fact that they switched their entire £272 million budget online, they're not going to do any offline market research from now on at Unilever, and that tells its own story. You know, this is now a sector where essentially everyone is online or enough, enough of the population are online for you to get... Um, actionable insights from looking at these conversations that are going on in social media. And um, it's mainstream in terms of politics, it's mainstream in terms of consumer opinions, um, and it's stuff that anyone in communications, marketing, PR needs to be understanding and um, getting their feet wet in. So, um, Jackie, um, over at Edelman, what's it like getting the phone call from a client who is slowly, the blood is, or, or perhaps if they're sitting in front of you, the, the blood is slowly draining from their face as they look at how their brand is being royally trashed uh, online. Um, what's that like? What do you do? Uh, I let the blood slowly drain from my face and uh, then pick up the phone. Um, it's interesting that actually we're seeing a shift away from people that are coming to us at that point in time where things have gone horribly wrong and, and they need a band-aid fix on things and a lot of the clients that we as an agency work with um, the digital team has, has had to be quite strong about you know we, we won't come in and give you a band-aid fix because ultimately that's not going to help you in the online space it's a you know it's a sprint not a marathon as many of bloggers want to say uh, no backwards the other way around <laughs> marathon marathon not a sprint you know what I mean um, but but don't know. they want a band-aid don't they want you to they take away the pain yeah, of course they do. <laughs> of course they do. And, you know, sometimes there are, there, are, there are times when we can do that. But, I mean, ultimately, I think any kind of online campaign that you're going to do in this kind of space is it's either about one or two things. It's either about taking something positive and amplifying it and getting it out there to as many people as you can do. Or it's about, you know, the band-aid solution. It's about looking at all the negativity that, it, you know, might be going on around a particular topic or, or an issue and looking, what you can, looking at what you can do to, you know, either balance that out or, or manage that down as quickly as you can. Stephanie, at, uh, at uh, Burson Mostello, I mean, you need some, a little more length on the yeah, microphone there. Um, What's, what are some of the things that you are doing in common with a lot of agencies? How on earth, what are you tracking? Do you uh, sit a junior in the, in the corner of the office and say, just get on Google and start <laughs> Googling Coke, for heaven's sake? Or, or what do you do? I mean, what's the process? No, actually, we took the approach that we didn't want to have uh, some specialist people dealing with digital media, and we trained everybody in the organization, every client staff, in dealing with that and knowing what was the impact for the clients and how it changed the way communications is, are, are now done uh, and the way it changes the way as a PR professional they should do their job. So it's really something that is ingrained everywhere. And it's actually something we do also a lot for clients. I mean, the whole training education is the first thing that clients, especially in other markets in Europe, 
come to us for because a lot of them have heard of it, but they don't really know what it entails for them, what they should pay attention to, should they be there or not. So it really starts with education and training, and that's why it's important that all of us as PR professionals know the impact, know how it's going to change the way we do communication so that we can guide our clients in that direction. And how? And is it working? Yes, it works with some of them, not all of them. Um, some of them. Who, who doesn't it work with? <laughs> it works with some very controlled industries. Some that are, for instance, pharma- it doesn't work with pharmaceutical companies. So, like drugs. Yeah, exactly. It's so tightly regulated that they have a lot of constraints to work with, so it's difficult for them to, you know, let go and accept this idea that you have to lose control, which is what it's all about. It works, of course, a lot with technology companies and, of course, brand consumers companies it works well with. And we're finding that actually B2B and industry companies, and that's a lot of the clients we work with, are really getting into that more in terms of knowing um, the kind of stakeholders' conversation about them and the kind of messages they should apply, both online and offline, to answer these issues. I see. Um, Neville, um, you, um, you blog a lot about this uh, space. You're quite known for your blog, nevillehobson.com. Uh, um, what are some of the sort of key issues you see in this space? I mean, one of the things that comes up um, now and again is something called blogger relations. Does it exist? Can you have... PR relations with uh, bloggers or with, uh, you know, a MySpace community, for instance. What's your view? That's a a good question, Mike. By the way, is anyone Twittering what's happening here? Anybody? No? Excellent. Okay, great. Stuart, thank you. Um, Blogger relations, it's a a new phrase. Uh, I think it's uh, an element of public relations that's going to become increasingly important once we know what it is, and therein is part of the issue. Uh, Blogger relations, when I talk to people, um, they tend to mean media relations as applied to bloggers. Personally, I don't think it's quite like that, even though the elements are broadly broadly similar, i.e. it's all to do with developing relationships. But those relationships and the development of them, I believe, are very different uh, in reaching out to a blogger than reaching out to a mainstream media journalist. I think over time that will change. Uh, as we see a blurring between the division that social media and mainstream media. There are even some people who are calling for, let's get rid of the word social and just call it all media. I don't think we're ready for that yet. So defining what is the activity that public relations needs to own, which is as part of the relationship building PR does on behalf of its clients in reaching out to people like journalists who are the, if you will, the traditional disseminators of your story, and uh, reaching out to this new uh, breed of uh, reporter, in a sense, uh, is, a, is a, a skill that is still developing. And I see so many different definitions of what is blogger relations. I've been doing it a little bit myself, what I call blogger relations, which is reaching out to bloggers. Am I doing it any differently than I would do it uh, to developing a relationship with a journalist? Definitely. Uh, so, but that again, how do I translate that into something that other people could use? Uh, that's part of the trick we all we all need to grasp still. So, back in the good old days, you took out the journalists for a right royal lunch, um, offered them drugs, women, alcohol, men, even boys. Uh, what else did we do? And um, or did they do? And uh, does that work with bloggers? Virtually, perhaps in Second Life, but uh, it's something that. Uh, 
reality is that this is all online these days. And in, in that fact, case, it's a horse then, right? Uh, you've got it. But it's all to do with, I, I think, the, the ways in which uh, how you develop relationships is changing uh, because of uh, online, let's say. Uh, I've got experiences, I'm sure many of you do, where I've built relationships with people over quite a length of time, and yet we still haven't met. I know a lot about them, and I would trust them. I would actually do business with them. We'd actually exchange cash, even though we've never met. That's brand new. And I think that uh, in the sense of that it's taking up, there's more relationships developing like that. We're going to see more of it. So all those things you mentioned, uh, no, that, that's yesterday. Jackie, we've got, you have a view on this? Uh, yeah, I do. I think actually there's a, there's a sliding scale of bloggers and, and talking about blogger relations as a, you know, a job lot is almost quite misleading because I think on one end of the scale you've got the almost what's, like, what's a commercial media entity that's using the blog as the channel and I, I guess this is things like a lot of the, the shiny, shiny blogs which, you know, driven Just, uh, by advertising. Hold, hold close to your face. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, driven by advertising, you know, you have journalists who are actually doing the blogging. Down, you know, to the end of the scale, through the through the middle of the scale, people like, you know, like Neville and, and people that have a sense of professionalism about what they do and they're, they're, you know, they're blogging about their job so that they know that they have to keep their comments kosher. Down to, you know, the other end of the scale is uh, I've been working through an issue for about the last three months with um, a, a blogger who I would say is at the, maybe the bottom end of the professional scale who took issue with one of our clients so you know posted quite a vitriol like post fine that it's within their rights to do that but as part of that they also posted the home address of our client which you know most commercial media outlets of any way sense or form would realize that's completely a no-go zone but these guys just you know, won't take this down, don't recognise that they've done the wrong thing in terms of, you know, invading people's personal privacy. So sliding scale, I think. Right, quite uh, an absolute and quite a fascinating... Uh, um, actually, I can just speak to that, which is um, uh, quite a well-known blogger in the UK, plasticbaguk.org, uh, Tom Coates, uh, quite, uh, a couple of years ago had uh, his, uh, the comments uh, spanned by um, Silic Bang. Was, which was rather interesting because a lot of the, his posts were about how his biological father had recently contacted him, him and he contacted him and he was going through a lot of stuff and Silit Bang turned up to talk about their product on his posts. Um, Mark, the influence of blogs, social media, um, can you, I mean, you're in the business a, a lot of the time of quantifying this kind of thing. What is the influence of, say, one blog with a lot of readers and, say, maybe a more professional sense of, of influence versus 300 GMTV viewers perhaps pissed off about uh, calling the, the phone lines that were dead? Yeah, I mean, the answer to that question is that influence is, is topic-specific as far as we're concerned, as far as measuring it mathematically. You can't... Be, um, well, you can be influential on a number of different things, but you're probably not influential on everything. And the problem with approaches that measure numbers of links and so on is that that doesn't take account of the context of the link. So one way of thinking about social media in terms of measuring it is that instead of thinking about it as these discrete communities like MySpace, Bebo, Pixo, and so on, you can see it as a series of virtual communities in which there are a number of communities who are all having conversations about different things. So let's say when you or I are linked by the fact that we're talking about the new Spider-Man 3 movie, 
um, we can construct you a, a, a network, a social network derived from those conversations, conversations about Spider-Man 3. And you can identify within that community who is influential on the topic of Spider-Man 3. Or even in more detail, you can say who is influential on the topic of special effects within Spider-Man 3. And that allows you, and you can do that about um, any issue you care to mention, um, uh, nut allergy or um, illegal downloading are a couple of the um, topics we've been looking at recently on behalf of clients. Um, largely blue chip cu customers, um, and what you can do then is, as the communicator, is you can have a much more, much more informed view. You know who you need to be listening to, because within the network, um, citation analysis, which is a mathematical approach to the way you measure networks, allows you to mathematically measure who is most authoritative within the network, who is most listened to, and that's not the same as having the the the, uh, the most number of links. Sometimes it is, but not always. Um, and then you can also tailor the, the messages that you might be giving out to be um, of most interest to the people who are most, um, most influential. So, for example, the client who was interested in the nut allergy uh, measurement then took our analysis and essentially put out a message about nut allergy. And the result of that was so effective that it killed the story. 24 hours later, there was no conversation about this controversy that they were um, actively communicating about. And so if you get it right, instead of the whole thing being, uh, you know, some chaotic nightmare where everyone's chattering and you don't know who to talk to, you can actually just get your message out there, answer the question, set everybody's mind to rest, and, you know, the story's over, on to the next thing as far as everybody else is concerned. So um, I can probably guess what your answer will be, but um, you, is it as simple? Uh, can this be done with really simple tools out there like Technorati? Can I blog Nut Allergy on technorati.com? and come up with the answers and not have to buy your service? Let's be aware of what you do. The, the short answer is, of course, I prefer you to buy our services. Um, but, um, of course, you know, n n commercial services like ours aren't um, suitable for everybody. And actually, Technorati, spam aside, gives you some clues. Spam is obviously a major problem depending on what you're searching for. And it will give you some idea about who's talking about your topic. It, it'll waste a lot of your time, uh, essentially speaking. Normally, when we've completed an exercise, we say, okay, here are the four people you need to talk to. And it's often as many as that, three maybe, three or four. It's no more. And they say, what about the others? And you go, honestly, talk to those three. The others will find out pretty damn quickly, and they'll pick it up. If, it's, if, what, if your content, if your message is appropriate, they'll pick it up. Um, so if you go the technology route, obviously you can spray the target, but it'll take you a little bit longer and cost you a little bit more in terms of that resource. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, just to add something on that, uh, I've got some experience myself of going the technology route recently, and I tell you, it is actually quite tricky. Uh, I agree absolutely with what you said, Mark, in identifying the three or four. It's how do you do that is the, is the key thing. Particularly, and this will happen to, I would say, many of you in this room where you're needing to include social media as part of your overall outreach as part of whatever it is you're doing for your client. And that will include identifying people in a niche of which you don't have any knowledge. And that was my experience recently. Uh, it was actually to do with uh, extreme sports snowboarding. And um, that was very interesting uh, in, in identifying who the major influencers were who were blogging about this particular niche of extreme sports in a way that made me feel confident I could actually recommend them to the client. And then how do you find out uh, the real influence level? And again, this is using tools like Technorati, like BlogPulse, 
like Google blog search, all the search tools uh, for blogs and being very, very careful with your keywords and how you do this, analyzing Technorati's link, linking and understanding how the Technorati link structure actually does work because the numbers that tend to differ uh, depending on when you look. So you can do it. And uh, you're probably right. In fact, you are right, Mark, that for most people, for the, that kind of thing, that's probably sufficient. But for the depth analysis, you actually do need to go deeper than what those free tools offer, so, I think. Stephanie, what, so then there's a nightmare scenario here, that not there, that you've done your research, you perhaps uh, contracted an outside agency like Mark's, and you, you've come down, you've tried to find the influential blogger, the, that, that key sort of uh, lodestone in the conversation online, and it all goes wrong. You've got the wrong person. What do you do then? Um, I, before I answer that one, I just wanted to add something about technology. For those of you who work for global clients, be aware that technology is obviously very skewed towards English-speaking blogs. And if you want, for instance, to know what's being said in South Korea or France, uh, these are countries that are notoriously not covered by technology. So you always have to keep that in, in mind. And that's where specialized services actually can help you having a much more localized uh, approach and, and monitoring. Um, and then you say, sorry, it all goes what, wrong with the blogger. What happens if, you, if, you, if you've actually, if, if you've identified the wrong influences? <laughs> Oops. Oh dear. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, uh, hopefully you've done your homework well and you, you have influenced, you have found the right one. Um, it, you have to look at it as a kind of holistic strategy and you don't only look at, you know, specific bloggers, but you also try to build other platforms of discussions that can pick, be picked up by other bloggers that maybe you wouldn't have identified. So you optimize your website, for instance, you optimize your search engine strategy, you do something with social networks and so on. And it's by multiplying the, the points of conversation and the touch points that you're going to be able to get your message out there and not only rely on a few bloggers that indeed may at some point be actually turning against you. And you, you, um, is it actually cheaper to use social media to get a message out than using the traditional media? You were, uh, you were talking earlier about uh, something that happened in Yahoo. With um, Yahoo in the US. Yeah, an example, actually. Um, it's true that a key question that we have is the return on investment. Um, so, many, so much data, so many different tools, people don't really know where to start and exactly are they really going to get money uh, out of their investment. There is one case study uh, which is f uh, from Sprite, Sprite the drinks, if I didn't, don't, didn't pronounce it correctly. Um, in the US, they were trying to get back their young audiences and they knew that their young audiences were very much into basketball. So they developed um, a game, which is called the Donk, Donk Ball Face Game, something like that, where people could go to their website and put their photo on a basketball game and then do some kind of videos where they would play with the ball with their face on and so on. And they were able to post it on YouTube, on Flickr, etc. They actually uh, talked about that game on MySpace, and they also posted on Xanga, which is an online uh, gaming platform, a virtual I mean, sharing gaming platform. What they found out is that they actually had from that, from the click from the social media, they had as much click through to their website that if they had sponsored the whole portal uh, page of Yahoo, the first home page of Yahoo, which cost $250,000 a day if you want to sponsor it completely, this game cost them only $25,000. So over the course of 10 days, they got 10 times more people for 10 times less than the price that if they had actually sponsored Yahoo. So indeed, yeah, with social media, they got much more money for their books. 
That sounds like quite convincing to me. Um, we're going to, uh, fairly shortly, we're going to throw this out to you guys so you can start uh, talking and asking the panel questions. Um, but we're going to be doing some more questions in the meantime. So think in, in, you know, start thinking about those questions to pitch, uh, rather to put to the panel, not pitch. pitch. I forgot you. Um, that, was, that was at lunchtime, wasn't it? Um, and also a surprise audience interactive session, which is remain mysterious for the moment. Um, so, uh, Jackie, um, there's a, um, I mean, what are the actual granular effects of, of all this stuff on, a, on an agency? I mean, is everybody starting to have to, you know, you know on the side of their desk, check what's going on, what the conversations are online about their, their particular account. I mean, what's the impact on an agency of trying to deal with social media and grapple with it? Yeah, that's a, I mean, it's an interesting question because it has um, changed, I think, for us phenomenally probably over the last two years. Um, I've been doing the job that I've been doing for about five years now, and for the first three years of that, I was like... The, the geeky person that they wheeled in one in every 20 meetings and I said my bit and then was kindly escorted to the door. And now I have a line of people you know, up to my desk just saying, look, what's going on with this? What's going on with this? Um, so it's, it's impacted kind of the, the specialist in, in this kind of space. But it's also right across the business. I think there's a, there's a lot going on. So, you know, we, we've all got our RSS feeds so we've all got our new ways of consuming news. But... Uh, and we've all had to go through the ethics training and the understanding of, of what it's all about. But I think fundamentally what's, what's starting to change, and ideally and we're working towards the same model that Stephanie was talking about, is not necessarily having digital specialists who sit in an ivory tower, but having the whole agency understand you know, the implications of social media for their business. Um, but it's almost like it's, it's intensified the, the time that's involved from an agency perspective without necessarily a huge incremental, um, you know, raise in budget. So whereas, you know, in the, uh, you know, don't want to draw a line in the sand because clearly, um, you know, offline media still has a huge impact. But, you know, in old media terms, you can go out and you can place a story on the front page of the sun and you can reach three million people to, to kind of plant the seeds that will you know, get the, the depth I'm digging myself a hole here which I know I can hear Neville sighing about but uh, to plant the seeds that will get the depth of influence that, that might be um, you know, less people but um, you know, deeper influence it just takes more time I think and it takes, you know, it's the ultimate in fragmented media so whereas before you, you had to understand what you know, 20 different media outlets were like in, on a given specialist subject. Now you probably need to just be reading and understanding and, and thinking about probably 100 different online sources of information around that same topic. So I'm going to mug you now, uh, Jackie, and um, <laughs> I'm really sorry about this. And I, I did give you I fair guess, warning yeah. that uh, Edelman... Ed, let me just say, Edel, say two words. Edelman, Edelman and... Edelman. Edelman, sorry. Edelman and Walmart. Tell us about that. What went wrong? Go, just walk us through that. Oh, nothing really. <laughs> no, um, I, I can give you, I'm in a room full of PR people, so I can give you the PR spin on it and then I'll tell you the real story. But I mean, <laughs> that sounds incredibly appropriate, actually. <laughs> um, oh, 
It's on iTunes. Yeah. Um, I think fundamentally we are an agency, you know, we right from the top, for anyone, you know, who knows anything about our agency, right from the top and through every level of management, our agency really fundamentally has hedged all its bets on the fact that this is a big way forward for the PR industry and, and social media and the whole changes that are coming in the online space are really fundamentally changing what we do. And so we have invested a lot of money, we've hired some amazing people in, and we're going out there and we're just kind of working out what it's all about and we're pushing the boundaries and, you know, every now and again we come up against a boundary and it's like, ooh, yep, we fucked up there, so right, you know, where do we go from here, what do we do? And we learn from those lessons and, and you know, the implications of the Walmart thing, which I'll come back to in a sec, uh, you know, every single person across the whole global Edmund network then had to go through this uh, through an ethics training process. So we had to understand the implications of everything that we were doing in the blogosphere, in social media. You know, we now have really strong and I think really good guidelines in place about what we can and can't do. Um, so that's PR spin. And, and the real story? Whoever's broadcasting can switch off the tape now. Um, <laughs> but I think the real story, well, it... Oh, I'm nervous about that too. <laughs> I think what it boils down to... Just go for is, it. Come on. Uh, yeah, it's been nice knowing you in this job, and I'll, see, I'll be looking to work. Um, what it boils down the to... The longest is, resignation note in history. <laughs> um, it's just a, a little bit of laziness, and it's happened on you know every front, but it's probably slightly less visible. So rather than you know going out there and finding the real people that would be up for the adventure that was, you know, Walmarting across America and was a great campaign and was getting great feedback. Yeah, okay, but, but for blah, the blah, benefit blah. of everybody... I'm getting there, I'm getting there. <laughs> um, but, it, it, but fundamentally, like, rather, you know, my personal take on it and, you know, not the views and thoughts of Daniel J. Edelman Limited, um, are that it just came down to a bit of laziness. So rather than, you know, us going out there and finding the people and, you know, finding crazy people that'd be up for these adventures, we, we just kind of picked people that were in easy reach and, and you know, weren't completely transparent about how close the links with these average consumer type people were. How's that? Okay, well, I think we're, if we, <laughs> you'll have to ask Jackie afterwards. We'll apply her with alcohol oh, later on. Um, I apologise in advance. I'm sorry. I knew I, I, I did to give you fair warning. With that. Uh, but uh, go and Google it, frankly, basically says. Great story. Um, um, let's just, okay, um, we're going to go into some questions now with the audience in a minute. And let me just throw something out just to the panel generally. Let's, have a, let's, let's sort of get into this a bit deeper. Come on. Um, what about... For instance, is being, you know, you've, you're trying to sort of do a social media campaign, you're trying to seed things amongst bloggers or uh, particularly my, prominent MySpace uh, members or Facebook, you name it. Um, what happens if, uh, can you, is it possible to actually make outing, the outing of the PR strategy, part of the strategy? In other words, everyone turns around and goes, oh, it's Coke, or oh, it's Ford. And actually that you know, you want people to do that. Let me take a stab at that one. Um, it's all to do with transparency. In fact, you wouldn't do it like that at all. Uh, it's not about seeding. It's not about any of that stuff. If that's traditional thinking, that does not work in social media at all. Uh, I believe that very clearly. 
This is about relationship building. It's about being part of the community. So uh, building a relationship with a blogger, for example, isn't just you know exchanging some emails and maybe talking via Skype or something. It's actually subscribing to that blogger's RSS feed over time, getting to know what he or she writes about. In my space, it's being part of that community. It's listening to podcasts. It's being in Second Life. It's actually being there. If you're not immersed in social media, you haven't got a hope in hell of understanding how to use social media. So you need to be in the space, absolutely immersed in it, which doesn't translate into you know, years and so forth, but being in there so that you get a sense of how things work around here. And one thing is, is dead sure, too, that the one other difference with this is that if you do go in, in fact, uh, Mike, that example you gave of Tom Coates and Silip Bang was a classically brilliant example because Silip Bang were outed, and it was massive, the public outcry at the underhand way they went about it. In the case of Edelman and Walmart, that was very different, actually. It wasn't quite like that. Uh, in, in your defense, they were very transparent with, yes, we screwed up, and here's how we're fixing it. Very transparent indeed, and earned a lot of credibility as a result of that. So it is all about transparency, being part of the community, immersing it, and doing it yourself. Stephanie. I would say that if your client is actually not ready to be transparent, it's probably not the right time for him to start going into social media. They have to do some changes internally, uh, uh, not talking about actually some, also on the operational front, some things they have to check. For instance, do they have a good customer service? Because the minute they go out there in the social space, they're going to be attacked first and foremost on their customer service. Um, but if they're not ready for that, and if they don't hear this cry for transparency from the people, which, by the way, if you think of it, I always think that it's a bit similar to the whole trend for CSR that we had a few years ago, where we're asking companies to show their commitment to be transparent about their impact on the environment. That's a fundamental, a fundamental change which is happening, and companies at some point will have to accept that. They will have to accept that they have to be more transparent. If right now they're not ready, then you know maybe they start with a little something that is not risky, or they just don't go there, but they have to start, start by asking themselves a question are we ready to go there? Are we ready to be transparent? Are we ready to lose control? And that's, that's the, 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 really the premise. So, Mark, are we looking actually at the end of spin, that, that companies are actually going to have to start... Oh, dear. Did I say that word? Sorry. Uh, that, sorry, I just must cross myself quickly. Uh, that, is it the end of spin that, that companies are actually going to have to live in change? Yes, I think the things that are effective, of course, are honesty, um, and um, it's a sort of, you know, an undervalued currency, but clearly the people who do well are the people who are honest and who put their hand up, as, as Neville was saying, as Stephanie just, uh, just implied. Um, and um, some work we've, we've just been doing, looking at the Dell, and De Dell are a, are a sort of byword for how not to do this. Um, Dell have been educated by pain. Um, and they're actually now rather good at it. And what's interesting about them is actually they haven't solved all of the problems that gave rise to the Dell issue. And our research shows that people are still complaining, in fact, even in slightly greater numbers about offshoring of customer service and some of the issues that got Dell into trouble in the first place. However, and it's a big however for people who feel they can't do it because they're worried, as far as Dell's concerned, one of the things that's brought them really good coverage in terms of commentary has been the sense amongst people who are commenting in blogs is that they're doing something about it. They're trying to reach out. And that alone has given them a bit of credit. So, okay, you're a bit annoyed that you spent half an hour on the phone to that guy who didn't quite understand what you were talking about and didn't have a very good script um, somewhere in, in India, but actually Dell are doing this site. And, and I don't know who saw this, but Ideastorm, which is their attempt to get people feeding back about uh, technical issues has just had the most extraordinary triumph because 
Um, someone posted a, a, a post a couple of weeks ago saying, don't kill off XP. When, when, uh, sorry, don't kill off Vista. We're, we're, perhaps we're not ready for it as, as domestic consumers. We want, we'd like to still buy or have the option of buying computers with XP on it. This was uh, there's a thumbs up type mechanism like with Dig, you know, where you endorse a post. When I last checked, it had been endorsed 12 and a half thousand times. And two days ago, just before the weekend, um, Dell announced that they were risking Microsoft's disapproval by, again, beginning to ship to consumers again with XP. Now, I don't know how long that process would have taken if they'd gone through another way of getting customer feedback in, but I'm sure it would have been much more tortuous. And frankly, the argument would probably have been longer and bitterer with Microsoft. I think the people at Microsoft would probably look at that and go, fair enough. There's a big groundswell of opinion here, which you're not catering for. You better, you better ship with XP again, guys. And there's, a, there's a, a classic solution of somebody who was in the doghouse who, by reaching out to the online consumer, has taken some risks um, but actually done something that's, uh, that's delivered real benefit to the customer. And they're going to win from doing that. You know, there are obviously more sales in them, more ROI. Thank you. So now we're going to reach the fun, bonding, interactive part of the evening, a little bit like one of those torturous executive away days. Um, everybody, stand up. Okay? Horrible, isn't it? Is it so embarrassing? Let's just get some... Right. Mutiny, mutiny in the ranks. Okay, everybody. Right. Let's test our knowledge in that fun... I wish I had a... Kind of, you know, have I got news for you. Oh, if you don't have seats, you're, well, uh, actually, you're going to have to kind of dip down or something. Um, okay, sit down if you've, um, stop, sorry, stay standing if you've uh, uh, read a blog. Oh, my God. Well done, everybody. <laughs> Give yourself a start. So, sit down if you uh, read uh, less than five blogs a day. Wow, hefty. There's plenty of people still standing. Okay, sit down if you sit down if you read more than uh, sit down. Sorry, stay standing if you um, read more than ten blogs a day. Okay. Okay, it's getting interesting. Okay, sit down if you don't if you've never been in Second Life. Okay. Now, uh, sit down if you don't Twitter. Ah, Matt Morrison, I thought it would be you. Um, uh, and uh, sit down if you've... Uh, well, that's pretty much it, isn't it? What a, sit <laughs> okay, sit down if you um, don't Twitter... Do Facebook, LinkedIn, MySpace, YouTube. If you don't. What's that? How many is that? Okay, put your hand up if you're still standing and you're still in the game. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, about ten people out of 130. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. That was a great exercise. Right.
Come on then, let's have a go at each other. Let's have some questions. Put your hands up so I know where you are. One, two, three. <laughs> okay, let's, we'll move, move from this end and we'll move across. Okay. Okay, go ahead. Please, can you say, who, let's get some mics over there. There's some mic over there. Going to play table, te- table tennis with the mics. Can you say, when you ask a question, can you say who you are and where you're from so we know what axe you're grinding? Go. Robin Gurney from Altex in Estonia. Um, and the question is, will, when the messages uh, start to get pushed out, will it be the SEOs who are taking advice from the PRs or the PRs who are taking advice from the SEOs? SEO as in search engine optimization. Yes. Anybody like, in the panel like to have a go at that? Um. I actually don't exactly know the answer. I can tell you the kind of stuff we, we do, um, which is that we try to advise clients on a, a, an optimization or de-optimization strategy. Um, so it's really, you know, we actually have a client who is a private health insurance company. And sorry if I don't look at you. I don't see you behind the, the board. Um, they have um, a website that is giving them trouble, which is which is all about complaints about claims in insurance. And what we advised the client to do was to set up a, mi- a microsite, which was all about complaints related to them. Um, and we made sure that we would also buy some uh, words in Google, and buy we would pl- place the microsite everywhere, and we bought the mega complaint word on Google as well. And as a result, we had our client site coming up uh, in more actually above this bad site so that when clients were, when customers were starting to put health insurance complaints, they would first see our site and therefore see our client's message. Um, I think it's actually an area that PR, some companies are going to go there, some PR companies are not going to go there. It will probably be driven by the request from your clients. That's how we started. We may go further in that area in Europe. Um, it's still early days for us. Okay, thank you. Um, there's another question just uh, right there on the corner, gentlemen, on the, on the corner. I don't know how else to say it. There you go. Thank you. Uh, Lloyd Davis from Perfect Path. Um, I, I thought that was an interesting exercise, Mike, in, in getting people to stand up and sit down again. Um, although... Um, uh, what struck me was that it was all about what people had consumed rather than uh, anything else. Um, and surely, surely the, the, the key to this is that uh, the distinction between consumers and producers uh, is slipping away. How, how, can you, um, how can you do PR for, um, for your clients if you don't know how to blog, podcast, and if you're not engaging in the community as a producer as well as a consumer. We can just get away with it. We can fake this, can't we? Just tell the client you've been in Second Life, for heaven's sake. It's, it, it's actually won't a find good out. question, Lloyd, but isn't that what I mentioned in the last comment I made before we had the Q&A, that, that if you are not participating, if you're not part of the community, and that means uh, you know, listen, reading bloggers and so forth, but perhaps doing one yourself, so you understand the connections, let's say, between what uh, the, the subjective thing that is, why does someone connect with you because of what you write? It's a connection that, that they've made with you, so they subscribe to your RSS feed, they might leave comments, they'll talk about you. You can't know what that's like unless you've actually done it. So you're, that's a, absolutely right. You must be a, a creator as well as a consumer. I will go, go the ahead. case, uh, the opposite side of the fence. I... Um, 
for someone who works for my company and does my job, I'm probably you know one of the people that is most noticeably absent from having my voice out there on a daily basis. Um, and I have blogs in the past, and I had this almost borderline OCD thing where it had to be perfect, and it was like three hours of my day every day, and it had to be fantastic and had to be brilliant. Um, so I had to stop because I had other stuff to do. Um, but you know, I I read. You know, I probably spend an hour and a half of my day reading, consume, uh, you know, consuming the content, I'm in interacting with people, discussing with people, commenting on blogs, you know, doing doing all the things about it, and. You know, I, I, I feel like I understand the space. People pay me a fair amount of money for my advice on the space. And, and so I don't think you necessarily have to be going out there, putting your voice out on a daily basis to be heard. Okay, let's have another question. Sir, could you just go... Uh, Mike O'Hara, Voices in Business. A uh, question for Neville. Great podcast, by the way, for immediate release. Thank you. Stuff. Um, as a, as a, uh, a Second Life expert or aficionado, why would a corporate uh, want to get involved in Second Life and establish a presence there, do you think? And could you maybe share with us some of the, the more successful and innovative corporate uses of Second Life that you've seen? Um. Well, I'm not an expert. Let me be clear on that. Uh, an aficionado, yeah, I explore. I spend a lot of time in Second Life. Uh, that's part of my job. It's actually fun to be able to do that as part of my job. Um, why do companies and other organizations go into Second Life? I, I think, think of some examples that are, you know, if you're paying attention to Second Life, you'll be familiar with these uh, companies. Uh, people like Dell, that's the first one that springs to my mind, Nissan, Toyota, BBC's in there, Reuters uh, has a news bureau in Second Life. Um, other companies, loads of them in fact, large and small. Consulting firms like Accenture, agencies in the PR community, definitely Edelman is there, Tex 100 is there, my company's in there. Um, why do all these companies do this? Uh, I think each, each company will have a different reason uh, specifically, but there's one overall reason I think, and, and Jack, if you have any knowledge on this, you can chime in too. Experimentation, learning, uh, understanding uh, the differences in a virtual world where you've got digital representations of individuals, i.e. avatars, who are interacting. Uh, what's that actually like? Uh, is it feasible? Uh, can, is this the future? Is this the three-dimensional web that so many people get excited about? Is this the next evolution of the Internet? These, these are all amongst the reasons why companies are doing this. IBM is probably, I think, the best example of learning that's going on by an organization on a massive scale that they're sharing publicly what they're learning. Uh, they have uh, around 3,000 employees whose part of their job is to do things in Second Life. And they have a lot more employees who are spending a lot of time in Second Life. They have about a dozen separate presences in Second Life. They use Second Life for uh, employee meetings. They use it for... Uh, get-togethers between ex-IBMers and current employees reflecting what they do in the real world, but you can actually no travel, so you can just meet online. So it's to do with things like that. Now, as I mentioned, there are very specific reasons, and some of the companies I mentioned, if you look on, in fact, just Google it. Better still, uh, there's a resource uh, that you can go look at, uh, put out by uh, a new organization called the uh, Business Communicators of Second Life. There's a wiki 
that contains a listing of companies and what they're doing, brands, media, you name it, and with links to their presences in Second Life. And that's open to anyone to add content to. But there's a lot of information out there already that uh, some of those companies have published as to what they're doing in Second Life. So I can't give you a bullet point list as we sit here speaking, but that broad overall one I, I think is a key one. Experimentation, learning, engaging with a community. Second Life is not the only game in town, by the way. Uh, but it is the hottest one right now. And, uh, you know, the growth has been phenomenal over the last six months, 5.5 million, nearly 6 million uh, members now. It was only a million last October. So uh, it has uh, captured the imagination of a lot of companies, and there are big debates going on amongst people in all sorts of communities, including PR, on what a brand's doing in places like this. That's a, that's a big topic to talk about. But experimentation and learning, I think, are two key reasons. Can we start getting the mic over into the middle of the room? And, uh, and certainly from my perspective, the most, most interesting thing about Second Life is you can announce that you're a Second Life and no bloody journalist or about 95% of them will ever actually check. Um, let's, uh, <laughs> let's, let's go. Who are you, sir? What's uh, the question? George Stothard from PRJS. I'm just going to play devil's advocate. And, um, isn't blogging just a talking shop for people um, who are into computers with an axe to grind? Um, is it futile for people like us to try and influence it? Um, because my three brothers, who are all builders in the Midlands, still go around by a Dell computer. Very good point. Is it, is it worthwhile? Yeah. Um, if you look at statistics in the US, 68% of the young people get their news online via YouTube, via blogging, via social networks. On. They don't look at TV, they don't read newspapers, that's where they are. But, so, Sergeant, I'm talking about blogging specifically rather than other forms of online media. Okay. Well, so I, I'm sorry, I'm gonna, just going to finish my point. Just to say one thing, one of the reasons is that I think the people, if I expand and if I look at people who look at blogs or read blogs, uh, and especially if you look at the young people, these people are going to be your clients, your customers, your executives of tomorrow. They will have been raised and bred in that world, and they will know the way to communicate only by blogging and by social media and so on. So that's why you need to pay attention. Mark? I, I think the point here is, is that most people don't, quote, read a blog. Uh, they use Google. Um, and most people who are shopping, I think um, three-quarters of Google users are looking to do a transaction of one kind or another. And what they often do these days is they don't just search on a brand name. They're not so naive. They search on things like uh, the name of the brand plus complaints or the name of the brand plus reliability. When they do that, what they tend to turn up are conversations. Now, those conversations could be happening in blogs or they could be happening in message boards or on review sites. And what they're looking to try and find is what's the real story? Okay, I know what the marketeer is going to say about this. They're going to say it's the most fantastic thing ever. But what do actual people say about it? And those comments disproportionately tend to come from uh, message boards, review sites, blogs, consumer-generated content, because most marketeers haven't figured out how to communicate to, as it were, brand weaknesses as well as brand strengths. You know, they don't talk about complaints about their product. Why should they? That's not part of their job, as they understand it. And so people come across blogs, and the reason they're significant in terms of brands is that people come across blogs um, irrespective of whether or not they're nerds just by using simple search engines. Those results come up time and again. Jackie. Um, I want to throw a question back to you. What do you, think were the, um, what do you think was the biggest influence in your brothers buying their Dell? Why do you think they went for a Dell? No, I mean, to be quite frank, I mean, they don't use computers. And, and my, the only reason I mentioned Dell is because we talked about Dell earlier, and I've, I've seen them myself in blogs. 
um, the biggest industry, it's one of the biggest brands, they wouldn't actually know about the ethical background or the, the ethical issues behind it. And they won't know until they start blogging or finding blogs once they've got their Dell. Um, so, so my point is that, you know, I mean, I, I read blogs myself and I inform myself from, from reading blogs and I make decisions, but as professionals working in marketing and trying to blog other people's products, how can we influence it? And are we wasting our time trying to influence the blog when it is just a, a space for people with truth to grind? Uh, okay, so just two-second sales pitch, because we, we run this um, a study every year, year on year, about where people, what sources of information people trust, and we've been running this for seven years, and over the course of that seven years, there has been a phenomenal shift from people trusting official sources of information like CEOs and, and you know even celebrity spokespeople, media, whoever it might be, to trusting this kind of people like me kind of thing, and, and I, I think to me that the, the the power of the the blogosphere and, and the other social networks because I don't think you can disassociate the two. It, it's that word of mouth. It's the it's the ability of the internet now to connect people who have like-minded experiences or interests or backgrounds or whatever the case may be, and to have these conversations with people like me, whether it be about their computer or any other raft of issues, which I think, and I would argue the point about it's not just about technology and about people who are obsessed with computers. It's a much broader range of interests that people are, are, are talking about. Okay, Neville? Just a, a quick comment. May I ask you the question, do you believe they're a waste of time? No, I don't, because I use them myself. Um, and uh, there are various things in my life that I actually seek guidance on from people who right. use similar products to me, so I do use them. But my point was purely... From a professional, commercial basis, can we influence them and are we wasting our time? Okay. Yeah, I mean, uh, just to echo what everyone said, no, we're not wasting our time. In fact, this is something that is on a, on a roll without any doubt. Whatever we do or do not do, these things are going to happen anyway. And what we're seeing now in, in terms of, you know, website blogs is evolving still further. Microblogging, as evidenced by things like Twitter, uh, mobile devices, all these things that enable people to communicate instantly wherever they are. Uh, we're going to see more of that. Word of mouth, this is exactly what it is about. So we cannot afford to ignore this. Okay, let's have more questions. Put up your hand if you've got one. Um, just chat behind you there, Patrick. My name is Toby Treacher from DC3. I think just to pick up on that, Mark, you mentioned it, that Unilever is putting all their spend on, on market research online. Um, does that mean that the kind of offline conversation is dead? So the guys that don't get the internet, the, the people that are out there that perhaps aren't picking up on the, the whole vibe of blogging, your brothers, those kind of people, just get entirely marginalised in this conversation, have absolutely no value as far as anyone's concerned. And if not, how do you guys up there actually address this kind of dwindling population of, of have-nots um, in terms of their accessibility to it? Um, I, I'd, I'd answer that by using an analogy with TV. The way that TV reach and radio for that matter, is by a small sample of homes that have set-top boxes in them, a tiny sample actually, and those are multiplied up to give a, a, an estimate for how many people have, have watched a show, and people take multi, multi-million dollar decisions on advertising based on those samples. What I'd say about the internet is it's now a statistically significant sample of opinion, so even if there are people who are not reached, as it were, statistically you're getting close enough to a normal if you like, distribution of opinion for you to be able to take a judgment based on internet research. Okay, more questions, but um, where's the mic gone? Uh, yeah, uh, behind you, moving backwards, green, green shirt. Green shirt. Um, Steve Clayton from Microsoft. A uh, question for all of you is, 
How long before we can consign the press release to the garbage can? <laughs> Come on, go for that. I, let me, if I may start that one. I, yeah. The answer is never. You're talking about a document um. that has a purpose, right? <laughs> Uh, there's a big debate being going on amongst quite a large proportion of the PR blogger community and indeed others uh, that the press release is dead, uh, do blogs instead. Uh, there's something that's evolving out of the press release called the social media press release uh, designed uh, for people who are online all the time and the ability to enable them to share that content with links to multimedia and other rich content that makes the traditional press release a rather more live document. Yet, reality is that there are channels that will change over time, uh, but traditional tools are still valid depending on the circumstances. So I would argue very strongly in defense of the press release. It won't die. Any other thoughts? I, just briefly, I don't think it will die, but I think the way that we're using it is changing. And as Neville said, like the, the social media stuff, which is almost like taking the press release to the next level. So the first thing a journalist may do when they get the press release is, you know, plug it in, plug the keywords into Google, start looking on the blogosphere about what people are saying about it. You know, why not pull all that into the press release and making a living document? But I, I definitely think, you know, even if it hasn't changed already over the last 12 months, the way that we use it has, has definitely moved on from... I guess, um, just to follow up, is more, I suppose more a question around the language of the press release than the actual press release. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd add to that to say, um, sorry, um, that it's very important. I'm, I'm slightly surprised always when people send out press releases in um, uniform uh, versions sort of 200 times over because we know, because we can see what people are writing who we might want to address, that they're all people with different interests and different takes on things. And the idea that, you know, one size fits 200, I think, is a little bit outmoded. Not 200 versions of the press release. You're not suggesting that, are you? I'm suggesting that sometimes that happens. And, um, and I think that there are two things that one can learn from blogging. One is that if you talk about a subject serendipitously, the people who are interested in different aspects of it because of the way tagging works and because of the way um, search works will find the thing that is relevant to them. And also the ability to be able to monitor the people who you're sending a press release to actually allows you to understand, okay, I'm talking about youth crime. Which aspect of youth crime is likely to be most relevant to this particular person? And, you know, what does it take, 30 seconds editing a, a document to customize it for, for a particular reader? And, and I think there's a lot that can be learned from, on the basis of conventional press releases, just looking at some quite simple feedback mechanisms for who that press release is going to. Oh, but Mark, you're forgetting the torturous process of having to get client approval. Um, and, uh, and indeed, um, speaking as a journalist, I, I love press releases because the, you guys always bury the real story in the notes for editors. It's so easy. Um, go with the mic. Okay. Rod McRae from MMC. Um, if social media is uh, such a, a cultural phenomenon, which I think we would probably all accept that it, that it is in this room, um, there's one big problem, which is that the people with the financial purse strings in most of our client companies um, uh, are probably over the age of 50, dare I say, uh, probably have less uh, of a general understanding of, of what's going on in the blog world. And I just wondered if there was any guidance from the panel on what's the one killer bullet that you would deliver if you were a PR agency to persuade them that they should take this seriously because I think that's the biggest problem that most of us probably have in this room. Have you got budget dispenser? 
Let's assume that there's money that can be released. Okay. Go. I would say my one killer point is the conversation's going to go on whether you like it or not, so why not be a part of it? Stephanie? Yeah, I would show them, actually. You, you, you just go to a site called socialmeter.com and you plug your client's uh, URL and you see that it's actually how many people link to it from Technorati, from Delicious, from Rojo, from all of that. And suddenly when they see, we've done that with clients, and when they see that, they're like, wow, I had no idea. It's actually not only people mentioning my name, it's actually people linking to my site. So, yeah, the conversation's happening. Take a look. There is no silver bullet. Uh, it's... What I do is tend to look uh, – I've had that kind of discussion, by the way, uh, with, with, a, with more than one company, and you have to apply logic, which I'm not a logical person. I'm more an emotional person, but you apply logic. What's the communication objective? You work backwards from that. If a social medium is the right tool to help you achieve that objective, then that's what you'll use. Either implement it yourself or have it as some form of your activity. Uh, but addressing the question the way you've asked it is a minefield. It's a swamp, in fact. It gets sucked into that kind of conversation. So approach it logically. Okay, there's... Just, can I just... Sorry. sorry, just add my two pence worth. I, I, I always start with Google. I just, I just show them what happens. Uh, and by the way, inventory.overture.com is a lovely tool to use to see what people are searching around, around their name because that gives you some idea of what the real story is around the brand and then look at the search results in relation to those searches. That's a very nice way to get the door open. Yeah, I'm, I know you're there. I'm coming to you. <laughs> Promise. Go for it, sir, and we'll keep going round. Go. Hello, Leo Ryan from RMM. Um, I've just been to see uh, Rashi Tabakawala, who's the Chief Innovations Officer of Publicis and the head of um, Denio Speak. And he pointed out that if you look at the top views since the beginning of time of videos on YouTube, look at the, the top user, uh, consumer, uh, consumer generated videos, it's 50 million. You can get 50 million in one spot on um, American Idol. Aren't we all getting very excited about something that is pretty niche? What's the relevance of this? And maybe that's the reason why clients aren't releasing budget. This is tiny. Why, why are we getting so excited about this? Clients are releasing budget, by the way. Well, this gentleman's having a... I'm, you know, begging the question. Why, why should this be of interest to clients if, if that's the difference? Let me take a stab at that. Let, let me just clarify some of the things you've asked there. Using YouTube as an example, right? 50 million views of a video is what? Irrelevant? Is that, is that, is that the argument you're coming up with? Uh, I'm just saying if that's the sort of statistic a client is looking at, right. what's the argument we can pause? I mean, we're a digital planning agency. Yep. Don't get me yep. wrong. Yep. I'm, I'm all for this. But if clients are looking at that kind of figure, what's the argument we put to them to say this matters? Well, it, it, it sound, it's going, this is going to sound a terrible answer, but the answer is it depends on so many. There's no cookie-cutter answer to give you. But it's not about numbers, and I sense that talking about, you know, 50 million and so forth is, is a traditional way of thinking. And again, I'm not, I'm not belittling that. Uh, it's not about the numbers. It is about uh, what people are talking about, the buzz they're building, the connections they're creating. Okay, 50 million. Uh, what's happening as a result of those 50 million views? How do you make the connections out to what else is going on out there? So it, it is not irrelevant. It is highly relevant in a, a media change that is well beyond just a 30-second spot. There is evidence, in fact, I think Mark talked about it, that there is a shift away from traditional media uh, to new media, if I use that word by, uh, to, dif to, to differentiate it. And most of the statistics we're seeing is coming out of the States, to be sure. But 
It's going to happen here. We're already seeing signs of it happening here by some of the mainstream media themselves. The BBC is doing radical changes, which redefines who is the creator, who is the consumer. This is all coming. So these things have absolute relevance. And again, a lot of it is still, I think, to many of us, myself included in many ways, this is still early adopter days. So there is a lot of skepticism out there. We have to work hard to take the story uh, to our clients, to our employers, to our, our associates, etc., to have them consider what to pay attention but to. It so it is, it is a big issue without any is question. Is there not, just to, to call you on that, isn't, not to call you, but to, to make another point, which is, that, is there not a point that here that um, you can get 50 million eyeballs on American Idol with a wham, bam, thank you, man advert or, or whatever, but uh, Simon Cowell rolling his eyes at the, the Virginia massacre... Um, has been recorded and will be uploaded to YouTube or Goober or uh, Blip TV or any, any number of TV social networks for time immemorial for, from now on. Um, so that's going to be around for, and that'll be around for millions and millions and millions and billions of eyeballs, in fact. Is that not the case? Well, doesn't it actually also meet kind of basic human needs to, to, uh, to kind of focus on things that are interesting, whether they're good or bad? Uh, to create something from something that exists if you're able to, and you now have the tools to do that. And what you're also seeing is uh, in some companies are, if you like, undergoing themselves quite a radical change in how they treat this by enabling people to take something they've done. I mean, the eyeballs thing you mentioned is a great example. And do what they will with it. So that's another shift in attitude, protection of brands and what you're allowed to do with it. There have been a number of contests in the last few months of major brands in the States where consumers have an opportunity to take something and create their own ad, for example. That gets a lot of attention. So again, this is all part of the changes that are beginning to happen. Okay, where, where are, um, Mark, uh, you're going to say something briefly in a second, but where are mics? Can I put, can put your, if you've got a mic, put your hand up. Okay, right. Okay, you, you guys are next, um, and we're just going to have a word from Mark. Go okay, ahead, Mark. Okay, i just say really briefly, it's about, it's about those qualified eyeballs as well. It's, it's partly about how long it's up for and, and how long it takes 50 million people to see it, and it's about um, the fact that actually most people are turned away from the, side, from the TV set for that moment when that 30-second slot is on, whereas the people who are going to the web have probably clicked on a link. There's some intention. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, I'm going to jump in. Can I have two seconds? <laughs> Look at the... Uh, we're gonna, we want to hear from another, we want okay, to hear so another yeah, question, sorry. if that's at all possible. Can I have two seconds on that two one? Two seconds. Well, maybe five. Go ahead. Ten. Um, I, it's, it's about, it's more than just like, it comes back to the question of consuming versus engaging with the media, because basically every, we have an analogy of like pub-like behaviour of everything on the, on the kind of social media space, and it's amazing how much, in how many places it applies, but it's the equivalent of you walk into a pub and you see a notice up on the door, and everyone that goes into the pub is going to see that. So you, you've got the volume there. But what you're going to remember that night is the heated argument and discussion and debate that you had about, I don't know, Manu versus Chelsea or whatever you sit and debate about in pubs. So it's how much you actually engage with that and, and the talkability of that. When you go. Okay, great. Let's have another question, sir. Who are you, who are you where are you from? Um, Socrates from trustedplace.com, which is a social media site, actually, uh, based here in London that is really trying to work with a PR agency. Um, it's proving a little bit difficult, uh, i got to tell you. And um, can see very clearly the value that you guys can bring, right? And can also see traditionally where that value was derived from, you know, those painful years of relationship building through lunches, dinners, you know, like Mike was saying before. Um, in the new world that you're describing Oh, God, now, they were good. <laughs> I bet they're it's still going on, yeah. 
Uh, in the new world that you're describing, where things are a bit more uh, tangible, a bit more measurable, a bit more, uh, you know, out there for everyone to see, why are so many people in the industry so slow to move away from the standard monthly retainer model that maybe is translated afterwards to some activity that has been done? and are, you know, I don't know, hesitant to embrace this and really kind of jump in with a company, partner with them and really show how to, you know, to derive the value that you used to, you know, you still do derive. So what do you want, a sort of a pay-as-you-go model for PR? Not just, it could have been that idea, yes, to contract. but at least something that, you know, everybody else that you work with in the, I don't know, creative industries, IT supplier, anywhere else, you can sort of more or less define what's going to be delivered, how much it's going to cost, when, and what will happen if it's not there? So we can track. Uh, so we can actually start tracking the results of what, how, what PR can deliver in social media. Is that the case? What do you think, panel? Go ahead. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I think that's that's going to happen. I think it'll take time, and I think it is all about being able to measure it. And there's not a wide agreement about metrics at the moment. I mean, we use metrics uh, which are based on um, specific authority on a specific topic. Um, but they're, they're one-time metrics. And we also use something called the Net Promoters Index to look at the generality of commentary so you can actually measure quantitatively the change of opinion around a brand on a particular topic. And that seems to work pretty well. Um, what we'd love to do is we'd love to, and we talked about this, we'd love to sort of share some of the ROI on that with a, with a customer because we think we're selling it what we do pretty cheaply at the moment and that actually there's a huge benefit. I mean, um, Stephanie was talking about the $250,000 or $225,000 that Sprite might have saved. This is hugely effective and actually the, some of the effects you can achieve are measurable and they're, ex they're extremely good. Um, but I think it'll take a while for, 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 the, for the marketplace as a whole to sort of you know, reach a consensus around that and a consensus around how you measure it and how you measure the value. How long do you think? Um, you know, just completely subjectively, I would have thought within 10 years, but I wouldn't like to say it'll be in 2008 or 2000. And, you know, we're not that far off. But well, I think it'll be on far. August the 20th. Um, different Jackie. different, country, uh, different yeah. companies and different sectors will get there at different times because they, they're adopting things. Okay, put your hands up if you've got more questions. Um, uh, okay, I'm going to throw right to the back and then we'll come back over here again, sir. Uh, my name's BA from uh, PRDarlings.com. Uh, first off is really just a word of advice, uh, not really a criticism, but all the people who were stood up right at the end of your stand-up, sit-down exercise really should get out more. Um, social media actually should be reflecting your life. It shouldn't be your life. Um, the second point is really whether... Advertising revenue is going to kill the good blog. I'm, I'm sorry, you could you explain that? In other words, you, you could sort of buy a blogger, is that what you're saying? Well, basically, um, um, unfortunately, it's, um, I'm a Noam Chomsky freak, and uh, if you haven't seen manufacturing or read manufacturing consent, you should look at it. Has um, He sort of suggests that advertising revenue corrupted media in its first place and its true intentions. Is that what we're going to see happening with social media, that actually they won't want to offend potential advertisers? That's a very good point. In fact, there's a U.S. startup called paperpost.com, uh, and, and, and uh, there, there was a recent uh, controversy where uh, various A-list bloggers were given Ferrari laptops by Microsoft and things. I mean, can you buy, can you buy bloggers? I'll, just, I'll answer that directly, which is... Um, any blogger who takes money for, for an opinion will buy that, 
by that fact lose authority on that topic for exactly the same reason that people go to Google looking for, quote, the real opinion. Any blogger who, uh, as it were, seems to be bought and sold um, will, you know, will, will lose that authority. And we can, again, we can measure that mathematically. You can actually see that happening. You can see people who are... Um, who, who, who accept sponsorship or expect some kind of commercial endorsement for their, quote, independent opinion, you can see them gradually sink in the authority rankings. Okay, so we're going to start going through some closing questions right. now and start winding right. things up Let me just gradually. Add, add a comment to that, Go what Mike just said. I actually don't agree with Mark on that one because I think that uh, I know two bloggers who were involved in that uh, Vista campaign, that if you disclose, it's all about disclosure, uh, that if you as a blogger accept advertising, for example, the podcast that I do uh, with my colleague Shell Holter State twice a week, we have a sponsor. Someone pays us money uh, to have an ad on the site, on the blog site, and also we mention it in the podcast itself. That is absolutely transparent and open. We've not had anyone complain about the ad. We've actually had people complaining about me reading the same script for 10 shows in a row, so we've just changed it, in fact. But that's very open. If we were not doing that, I would expect hell to fall upon us when we were outed because we would be sooner or later. So that's the key thing. It's disclosure and transparency. I don't see any issue. May not agree with it, may not feel that is the best route for a blogger, but as long as he or she is open and honest then you cannot accuse them of any underhand behavior. There was actually an interesting article, I think it was a New Statesman maybe three, four months ago, which was really looking at younger generation people, so, so people kind of under 20, and how they felt about you know, paid, paid for content. And ultimately it came down to they really didn't care, you know, as long as it was transparent yeah. and it was disclosed and it was well-written, entertaining content that was relevant there to their life, they didn't care, they didn't give a shit. Right, okay. Um, final question, uh, well not final, but closing question just there. Basically, I work in-house and obviously for a website um, with two audiences, kind of people who own second homes abroad and the travel market where obviously blogs are kind of really influential. So I don't need to kind of sell the idea of like this is really important to my client, like, but I just keep repeatedly being told that I need to really incorporate kind of social media into my PR campaign. So the question is not for me, it's not really so much who are they, what are they saying about us, it's more, how do I speak to them? We know the kind of blogs that are relevant to us. We know what people are saying about us. But how do I, you know, if there's been a negative comment or if we want to kind of influence the conversation in some way, obviously you can't just kind of make up like a fake personality and just kind of post on there. How, oh, no, when no, you talk that, about kind of, um, <laughs> when you talk about blogger relations... How, how exactly do you do that? How do we talk to these people? Absolutely. Well, there are various stages. The first one is to actually listen and, and read them and get to know them. The second one is to participate. So you start commenting by disclosing exactly who you are. And, and, well, and as your, as your, with your corporate identity, you mean? Yes. Kind of yes. You, you can actually create and post as a spokesperson you should. for your company. You should. And yeah. that's actually allowed, is it? Because yeah. I wasn't sure if that was. I mean, are you a PR agency or are you the, the client? I'm in house. You're in house. I'm yes, in house. yes, yeah. of course. Yeah. You have to, oh. you have to make sure that, you know, within your company, there are not some specific policies that prevent you from doing that. But otherwise, yes, by the way, you go in, you say, I'm X working from, from, for Z. 
really interesting what you said, and I noticed, you know, three months ago when you discussed that, so you, you proved that, you know, you read that guy's blog for a while, and then you also make sure that you bring something to the conversation. So you, you bring a, a, an interesting fact, an interesting link, uh, something, you know, or, or you offer to put them in touch with somebody they've been complaining about, oh, I don't know anything about that, and I'd like to know more. And that's how, over time, you're going to develop relationship with them. Will they not automatically block you if they see that you're from the company or a spokesperson the, for the, the client? No, company, on the contrary, like? on the contrary. I mean, of course, when you read, and if you read and you see that actually this guy is, you know, time and time again, very critical of any approach by companies in his comments or directly, then, you know, you're going you're to be more careful. But there are different ways to get in touch with them. You can do it directly on their blog, of course. You can also sometimes just try to pick up the phone and, and stuff like that. But always start with getting to know them by reading their blogs. Can I just add a comment to that? That, that you need to think about this real very carefully. For example, if you were working for a company that there's like issues in the public being discussed about, and as soon as you know people see a representative of the company addressing a question, you will get 50 other questions totally unrelated to broader issues. So you need to be very careful when you do that. But definitely, you should disclose who you are. That, that's first and foremost. Right. We're going to. I hope that helped. Um, we're going to move to uh, maybe the fi is it only final questions. Uh, do, do, okay, we've got. I, I think. Still sorry, yeah. <coughs> sorry. There's uh, uh, one at the front there. If we could just, we'll just run through these quickly in the front there. Go ahead, sir. Um, ben Ayres from ICV. Uh, what's Web 3.0 and what does that mean for us? <laughs> it's another headache. Uh, we're we're the exhausted at the moment. <laughs> Haven't you heard? Where have you been? Um, <laughs> I would go beyond the net, actually. We should look at mobile phones. We should look at uh, IPTV. We should look at all these kind of console games. There are lots of stuff you can do on console games as well. So the, the world of digital is really beyond, beyond the web. And otherwise, the next iteration of the web might be indeed what, what Neville was talking about, which is uh, the actual virtualization 3D dimension of, of websites. Absolutely, and if you speak to a geek, they'll tell you it's the semantic web. Just ignore them. Um, there's a question at the back there with the, uh, uh, on the, uh, in the column. Could somebody give the mic to that guy with the striped shirt? <laughs> All right, panel. Uh, Neville, you've uh, you mentioned Twitter a couple of times. Um, does anyone care? And if they do care, how is it going to work for uh, companies? Twitter, you said, right? Twitter. Yeah. I love it. Interactive. You know, kind of the point I was going to make is related to some, some of the things that Jackie's, sorry, Stuart Bruce, BMAPR, is kind of related to some of the stuff that people have already said. But we need to actually move this conversation back offline because a lot of the stuff, I mean, like Sarah's question about, um, it was actually to do with relationships. So, yeah, basically I'm saying what we should be doing is we should be moving this conversation back offline. And what we're actually talking about is relationships. And relationships is exactly the same. Whether you're online or offline, you've got to be open, you've got to be transparent, you've got to be, you know, you've actually got to really talk to people as if, as individuals. And that's one of the things that's quite important about Twitter, is the 40% the of the UK population that accesses the internet less than, three, um, less than every three months, that's actually a way of engaging with them, because there's a lot, there's a lot higher penetration with mobile. You've just got to think about what the most appropriate way to have a conversation with somebody is. Right. So, first part to your question. What was it again? <laughs> no, no. Relationships. Uh, no, Twitter. Um, no one really is sure what Twitter is. I Twitter. Uh, how many people here Twitter? Okay. 
Well, you, I bet you all have a different understanding of what Twitter is. I mean, it, it, answering the question, what are you doing in 140 characters? Is it, you know, sharing your innermost thought, you know, I'm sitting on the toilet right now, what are you doing? I mean, some people have done that. Mm. Uh, who cares? Well, a lot of people actually do. Is it something we should be paying attention to? A lot of people are. I can actually see some interesting uses of a tool like Twitter internally within organizations. So it is another evolution of uh, what's happening with the ability for people to express themselves, but it's not for everyone. But the fact of the matter is, it is a tool. Okay, let's, uh, I'll, I'll tell you what Twitter yeah. is. Twitter, Twitter.com, you go there, you register your uh, in, instant messaging profile and your mobile phone, if you have one, and then basically you, you, you have a profile, then you can join, you can friend somebody, just like on MySpace, or you can also friend an organization that has a Twitter page. And then every time that page is updated, you get an instant message on, on your instant message um, profile on MSN or whatever it is, or you get an SMS. And it's going, it's going, an RSS. So it's going, it's going crazy. It's, it's a bit of a fad. And people are Twittering things like, I'm having a sandwich. I mean, it's ridiculous. But um, there's some quite interesting things. It, it certainly seems to be sort of the tip of the iceberg of social media Certainly on the mobile. Stephanie. Um, I wanted to comment on the online-offline point. I agree with you uh, that it's all about relations. And I, but the, the good thing about online and offline is that you can actually, I mean, we're all digital media advocate, but offline is still absolutely crucial. Uh, you can actually use digital uh, media and online communications to shape and refine your offline communications. We've done that with a client of ours, which is in water management services. And they actually identified online that there were some key cri critical questions asked by activists on water management that they were not addressing on their website or on their brochures or on their written communications offline. So we were able to then adapt the offline communications as well. And that's often something that resonates pretty well with them. Um, so there are absolutely ways to connect with I, I, I just, I think it comes back to the point that was raised earlier about um, how much of all conversations are online. Twitter's quite funny because it's just gossip. It's just, you know, voyeuristic gossip. If, 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 you do, if you're discovering tw Twitter, by the way, my recommendation is to go to twittervision.com, which is a global perspective on who is sitting on the toilet simultaneously in Tokyo and in Wyoming. It's just hilarious. Um, and I think the point is, it's a serious point between offline and online, which is the web allows us to track conversations that were never trackable before. We shouldn't kind of forget that there is another world that's not online, but the point is that gives us some opportunities as people who are in, interested in communications to kind of understand the world in a much more deeper and measurable way and act on those understandings. It doesn't mean that, as it were, the offline world ceases to exist. It just means more of it is, is kind of recordable and measurable and searchable and communicatable with. In fact, I think Twitter is the most real-world thing I've seen online so far. I'm eating a sandwich. Um, good God. But it's great. It's hilarious. Like, we're going to uh, hear some closing comments now from the panel. I'd uh, just like to ask them where they think some of this you know, is going. I mean, and, and maybe there can, perhaps we can even end on maybe a positive note. Is there some successes to be got out of this whole space? Um, starting with uh, you, Stephanie, if that's possible. Sorry. I think I would have needed two minutes. Like uh, uh, where is this going? I think there, a lot of these are fads. I mean, the, the blogging, the Twitter, and so on, they're going to go away. Um, I think the change of tone is a fundamental shift happening there, and that's what's going to you know, really impact the way we do communication, the way our clients do communications. And where was the second part? Success stories? 
well, the one that I just said about the water management company was is a good one for us because it really it really helped refine and reshape the whole communications messaging uh, as well as actually give us a lot of strategic insights to bring to the client. So there are some benefits that may be not purely quantitative, but from a qualitative point of view and in terms of establishing a relationship with your client, there's a lot that digital can bring to you. Uh, Jasmine. Um, in all honesty, I have no idea where it's going, but um, I'm enjoying the ride along the way. Um, I think mobile will play a big part, and I think you know anything that brings this richness of experience, whether it, you know whether it be the the second life or whether it be the video kind of thing, but every anything that takes that to a next level of, of you know immersion and as I said, em emotional and intellectual engagement, I think will be the applications that that win out. Neville, I think the what we're seeing now is just the tip of the iceberg in terms of what we need to pay attention to as communicators. Uh, this will have a profound uh, change on our profession and how we deliver what we do for our clients and our employers. What it's going to look like, I haven't a clue. Uh, I don't think anyone does. A lot of predictions out there. But the, the important thing, I think, is that we must be part of this change. Otherwise, we will become irrelevant. So we have to be part of it for that reason, if none other. Mark. Um, I'm quite idealistic about all of this. I think that um, what we're seeing is a sort of breath of democracy. I, I'm, I'm one of the people it, who's read the Clue Train Manifesto and kind of believed it. And, and I, I think that what we can see happening is a little bit more honesty, a little bit more transparency, and a little bit more democratic um, input across a number of areas and in the commercial sector too. And I think um, companies are finding they can learn a lot from all of these conversations that are happening and communicators too. So I think there's a lot to learn and most of it is good. So I'm looking forward to it. And I'm looking forward to the day when those drunken journalists are replaced by drunken bloggers and uh, <laughs> uh, taken out to terrible nights out in Soho. Um, I'd like to thank our panel, everybody. I'd like to thank you for coming along and braving this, the, the certain amount of heat in here. Uh, thank you to Chinwag. And uh, thank you, everybody, and that's it. Good night. Chimwag Live PR and Spun was sponsored by Microsoft Windows Live. Keep in touch with Windows Live Messenger, Mail, and Spaces at www.get.live.com.